Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian, the editor of Waters Technology. In just a moment, we have uh, special guest speakers for you guys. Uh, Luminex's CEO, John Clark, and his colleague, uh, David Hagen, uh, head of product. They're going to join and they're gonna, we're going to be having a discussion around some of the buy-side challenges or some of the challenges, I guess, that buy-side firms are facing as automation seeps into just the various asset classes and what that means for trading, what that means for the skill sets that buy-side traders need to have in this evolving market. It's an interesting discussion um, and definitely worth uh, hanging on for. Before we get to that, though, um, just wanted to quickly let you all know that uh, on October 23rd and October 24th at the Westin Hotel in Singapore, we have our annual Waters Asia Conference. Uh, my colleague Wei Shen Wang, she will be running it uh, for us out there. And so if you're going to be there, definitely go up and say hi to her. But on the 23rd, we have a traditional agenda, touch on a lot of the uh, digital transformation efforts that are underway in the APAC region. A lot of really interesting speakers, both from inside the industry and outside the industry. Um, as you know, that technology, you know, th what happens outside, especially in the retail space, slowly but surely that definitely comes in. That's definitely, uh, it, it's more true, I would say, or it's, at least it happens more quickly, um, I would say, in the APAC markets. Um, so the 23rd is a traditional conference. On the 24th, we have uh, an innovation tour. So attendees are going to have to register for that. They can register um, at the event, I believe, at the registration desk if you show up for it. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting day where they're going to go to innovation centers, innovation labs um, across uh, Singapore um, throughout the day. And just kind of quick little intros, you know, so you get to kind of get a flavor, get to really see um, some of the efforts that are underway in this uh, kind of fintech space um, that, that are happening in the region. Um, so again, we hope that you check it out. Also, this podcast today is being sponsored by SmartStream. Um, they are going to have um, a desk, a, a table at the event. So we hope that you will go up and say hi to them. Um, we really do appreciate uh, the support they've shown to us. They help make you know things like the conference go. Um, they help uh, with the podcast and getting the word out for this. So if you like what you hear here, hopefully uh, you'll be able to go and uh, chat with them at the event itself. All right. So without further ado, um, we will now talk about buy side issues and just some of the automation and trading um, challenges that are facing the market and some of the skill sets that uh, traders need to start developing um, in this new marketplace. So thanks for joining, and uh, we hope you enjoy the conversation, and we will see you here next week. Cheers. All right, and now I'm joined by Jonathan J.C. Clark, uh, the CEO of Luminex, and David Hagen, Luminex's head of product. Uh, J.C. and David, thanks so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Tony. Happy to be here. Thanks. And today we're going to talk about buy-side trading, um, some of the trends in the market that uh, J.C. and David are seeing. Luminex is the buy-side-only, buy-side-owned block trading dark pool. Uh, that's generally speaking. But for the people that maybe aren't as familiar uh, with Luminex, uh, JC, maybe I'll, I'll leave it off with you about uh, just explaining a little bit about the company. Yeah, sure thing. And thank you again, Tony, for having us. Um, you know, Luminex is, um, was really created and founded and, and came to be uh, really because of some buy-side frustration. So we have to kind of go back in the in the wayback machine a little bit here and think about what it, what was the environment like 
that basically precipitated a bunch of buy side shops to dig into their own pockets to establish their own ATS. And mm -hmm. so I always think of the period of time um, where Pipeline, which was an algo provider in Darkpool, Pipeline was an ATS that had claimed one thing, but in fact was doing something else. Mm -hmm. And one evening, this headline hit, and I happened to be actually at a buy side event that night. And so I think that actually sort of stirred the pot even more. And was this while you, you, sorry, sorry, just to cut in, this is just for our reasons I don't know, was this while you were uh, the head of America's equity trading at BlackRock that, that you first heard about this? Indeed. Okay, Indeed. sorry, go, so please, I'm, and go on, sorry to cut you off. I, no, no, that's quite right. I think that's good context. So I, I was on the asset management side of the business. I, I basically served on the buy side for, for nearly 25 years. So this is, this is uh, at the latter half of my tenure as a buy side or running uh, an equity trading desk at BlackRock. And so a bunch of these senior buy siders were, you know, at this, at this particular function. And we just sort of were in dismay that something like this occurred, that there wasn't the level of transparency as to how the pool operated and people were extremely frustrated and within uh, you know less than a week effectively everyone shut down their lines and pipeline was basically toast mm -hmm. um fast forward a year or two later there's other ats's that are basically stubbing their toe where they're you know they're not protecting uh, client data appropriately and they're sharing it with uh with individuals that it shouldn't have been shared with uh, there were other ATSs that also had proprietary sort of uh, liquidity in their pool that they hadn't disclosed. And, and we were just going down this path of disclosure issues, uh, transparency issues. And lo and behold, I think the buy side sort of said, we've had enough. We just want to do business with each other. We want to try to find a way that we can move block liquidity quickly, efficiently, and safely. And lo and behold, you know, Luminex, the what it is today started to come to be. And really it was Fidelity who took the charge and sort of said, hey, we have an idea. Uh, and they have invited nearly 20 asset managers up to Boston and did a sales pitch and kind of said, what do you guys think about this? And lo and behold, you know, ultimately nine asset managers, as I said, dug into their own pocket. This is not a for-profit deal. This is meant to be a utility for the buy side uh, as a means to move large uh, pieces of stock. And I think that's what makes the story the most unique is that this isn't actually for profit. This is just due to these frustrations. And so that's that's how we came to be. And I think that that story is pretty cool. Okay. And uh, David, just maybe fill in for our listeners a little bit of what you do as head of product at Luminex. Sure. Thanks, Tony. Uh, also, I guess by way of context, I also grew up trading. I spent 16 years on the floor of the Boston Stock Exchange. Uh, started as a runner, then a clerk, then a specialist, uh, et cetera. And then uh, a little event happened called decimalization, and uh, that was pretty much the end of that. So I had to reinvent myself, and I took a pivot towards trading technology, spent 10 years at a large uh, international OMS provider, uh, helping drive their trading technology, and then uh, – I joined Luminex in the summer of 2015, right before we were going live, and uh, I've been here ever since. Now, four years this November will be live, and I'm responsible for a lot more than was in the brochure, JC. I can assure you <laughs> that. <laughs> but 
basically the infrastructure, the product, I mean, we do have a front end that most of our clients interact with, uh, the, the Luminex application itself. So I'm responsible for, for, you know, listening to our customers, what they want, what they need, trying to prioritize what gets in when, and uh, that's what I do. Yeah, Jesse just knew he had to get his hooks in you, and then, you know, there was not a lot you can do after that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I have to go back and look at the brochure again. <laughs> Very good. So obviously on our website, if you go to our website, there's, you know, it's water technology. What we talk about is technology and how uh, technology is being used to make traders more efficient, but also how technology disrupts the market, right? And specifically around like uh, things like AI and automation, RPA, things like that. Um, the role of humans in the uh, trading environment has decreased. Uh, electronification has taken hold uh, across the various asset classes, but trading uh, large blocks uh, is still, you, you still need human hands on that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, what we're seeing in the market today? What's unique about that interaction between the, the, the still need to have the humans there to walk a block order through and how much automation technology can help uh, uh, streamline that process still. Sure. Why don't I take first swing, David, and feel yeah. free to fill in uh, where, where you need to. But, you know, yes, absolutely. It's, this is uh, not breaking news that technology has continued to sort of displace the, you know, role of the trader, um, whether it's, in the form of algorithms that are now sort of doing across the day um, execution or whether it's, you know, automated orders that are being raised by PMs that meet certain set of requirements that they're just sort of going right past the trading desk and out the door. Um, certainly the role of the, the human has certainly been diminished. Um, that said, um, you know, obviously the trading desks aren't 100% automated at this point, and I'm not sure that they'll ever get 100% there. Um, there are areas where liquidity uh, becomes an issue, and simply handing that off to a machine to make this determination, I think there's a lot of a lot of reluctance. And so, the traders are now, uh, and many desks are, effectively saying, you know. I don't need to worry about the little stuff that can either auto route out or I've got algos that sort of pick up those tickets and, and, and get to work, but hand me the ones that are more difficult and let me try to source liquidity. And we know there's a variety of sources out there uh, for liquidity. Obviously the rise of the central risk order book uh, has come to, to be over the last couple of years. Um, there are still obviously market maker and upstairs uh, desks that are willing to put you up uh, with capital, um, but there are also other products like ours, and this is not an infomercial, but these have been around for nearly 15 years, and these are these, these invitations that uh, are put in front of traders as a prompt to say, okay, you know, you have an order, uh, a conditional order, which means uh, there is effectively um, a placement at our, at our shop or, or elsewhere, but there isn't necessarily an obligation to trade. So if, um, if you do get one of these pop-ups, you have an opportunity to react. And the traders, that's where they're trying to differentiate and say, look, I know when the right time is to source liquidity, and I know when I should sort of pass on those opportunities. And I think that's where the traders have really found their niche. 
Um, it's sort of when to step on the gas, when to step on the brakes, uh, how to use relationships effectively as well as technology. And David, you want to jump in and add to that? Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add to that, JC, is I don't I don't think traders should be scared of technology. It's just another tool. And, I, you know, the, the clients that we interact with, the ones that are passionate about trying to make our product better and are just really in the weeds when it comes to the tech side of, of things, I think that they're really going to be well positioned. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's actually a good segue to talk a little bit about the technology under the hood and some of the frustrations that I think I've seen, you know, dealing with buy side traders now for the last 14 years. And I think, I think one of the most frustrating things is trying to stay current on their various systems from their vendors, be it OMS, EMS, et cetera. Um, I, I can tell you a bunch of stories, but one that really, I think, shows this off well, uh, when I was at that OMS uh, vendor, I was visiting a client and showing him all the latest bells and whistles in the newest version, and he pulled me aside after the meeting and he said, listen, you got to stop coming here and showing us all this cool stuff. Our tech teams aren't going to get this to us for at least three years, and it drives everyone crazy. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me as shocking. But, you know, we, you know, you still have clients that are on literally 15-year-old versions of an OMS. And it's amazing. Uh, and that's you know, when we launched our product in November of 2015, as you can imagine, we got a ton of feedback quickly, and we needed to be nimble and make changes. And we were, you know, kind of a legacy de- software deployment model, and it, it dawned on us pretty early that we needed to find a better solution. And uh, we we got introduced to a relatively new company called OpenFin, and sure. I talked with them on and off. Everything they said sounded like the holy grail to me, like deliver new features fast and updates are simple because I had struggled, you know, the past 10 years at, at the OMS company with that problem. But we decided to take a swing, and uh, it took us about a year to make the transition. But I, I got to say it really lived up to what they were pitching. We released our what we call Luminex 2.0 in, what do you think, JC, February, I guess, of this year? Yeah. Somewhere around then, and within three months, we had 60% of our clients on the new version, and we're we're almost fully done now. So we got we're putting out new features, typically twice a month now, where because of the old deployment models, we were doing nine months to a year, and it's you know traders want things and they want things quickly, and uh, this has really enabled us to do that. Uh, sure. And, you know, let me jump in. You know, so let's talk about more from a trend perspective, though, here. Uh, you know, you guys got a great product. I, I do understand that. Um, but looking at it more from a trend perspective, you know, you, you're talking about the OMS and some of the frustrations that the buy side faces in the past year, 18 months, really, two years, I guess. There's been a lot of consolidation in the market. Um, and then you have interesting players like OpenFin, um, and then there are various others that are also um, entering into this idea around desktop application interoperability, uh, something that we've written about a lot, and we uh, did a profile of OpenFin and what they're doing with RBC. What does that mean for the market going forward? Consolidation in the market, um, um, and so now you're starting to see, you know, just all the big OMS players, you know, kind of finding one, you know, one uh, partner to be underneath. There's like four or five now that you know really big ones, and 
then also you have this idea of companies that are trying to create, you know, an operating system interface that can kind of mimic that. And so where you can choose and pick and choose the best of breed of solutions that you like from a buy side, from the people you speak with, again, more from a trend perspective, what do you see as being this kind of path forward over the next five years as far as what the buy side will look to adopt and where you think that their hearts and minds will go to? Yeah, I, I'll take a shot, JC, and then, then you go. But, yeah, I mean, you, you're 100% right. There's been an awful lot of consolidation. I was at a company called Line Data, which is still Line Data. I haven't been through any mergers. Uh, but, yeah, less less players, less competition. We all know what that usually leads to. Um, but with the advances in technology, I, I suspect you'll see some nimble cutting edge entrance into the market as disruptors. It's I kind of just have that sense. But uh, I know that the large OMSs, they, they have been trying to tackle this problem that I described for a long time. And I think they're making some pretty good strides. We see because we're obviously integrated with all of them. Uh, and JC, I think you can echo this. When clients are upgrading their OMS, Lately, it's a lot faster process than it was four years ago. Interesting. Yeah, it sure is. I think, you know, I, I've always historically viewed this as, you know, you have sort of the OMS world, sort of the, you know, where all the compliance sits and the um, portfolio construction and uh, the order generation. Uh, and then you have the EMS side, which is usually something that's more trader-facing. And, you know, historically, obviously, the, the OMS has always been really sticky, uh, and the EMS is usually where you see the innovation. Um, it's usually a, a lighter build that can be put in front of a, a trader quickly. Um, but, you know, to your point, Dave, yeah, OMSs continue to try to turn their way into an OEMS. And mm -hmm. I think, I guess that's worked with varying degrees of, of success. But we, we just know uh, for a fact, even in our own experience, that, you know, EMS changes you know, certainly happen pretty readily. The the OMS portion just doesn't doesn't change at all. Sometimes uh both can affect us, sometimes it's only only one portion, the EMS, but but ultimately, you know, what I've long thought, which is the OMSs are hard to change, we're, we're finding that to be be true. And uh, David, I want to jump back to something that you talked about just uh previously, uh, just a little bit earlier, but you talk about what traders want some of the some of, you know, just kind of what their needs are and stuff like that. But from what you've seen as a head of product, you know, and dealing with clients one-on-one, -on -one, what are some of the skills that are kind of needed today, perhaps, that traders in the past end do? What do you think kind of really separates a good trader, especially for somebody using like a, a dark pool uh, outlet such as Luminex? What do you think are the, the key skills that they bring to the table as things become more technologically advanced, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we all saw that article. I forget where it was. Maybe perhaps it was you guys about you have to know Python to be a trader in the future. And I don't know if you guys saw that article, but sure. I, it was risk. I think that's uh, had that. Yeah, I'm not totally convinced on that. That's a. I'm not a coder. I've never been a coder. But to answer your question, I think uh, traders that <clears throat> specifically around a skill set, it, it's really just getting interested in it, learning what who your vendors are, 
what they're working on, maybe get involved with the vendors, help shape the roadmap, uh, things like that. And then most importantly, building the internal relationships with the technology teams at their shops to give them direction, what, what it is that they're looking for and how technology can help to really partner with the tech side, I think is, is going to be really helpful for, <clears throat> for traders going forward on the buy side. I, you know, I personally think that you've got to be somewhat of a data hound. Maybe you're not a quant, but you need to be a data hound, someone that's, that's willing to parse through large amounts of data to try to determine, you know, whether there's patterns or behaviors or getting a better understanding of how your orders are being handled. I mean, I think if you don't have an interest in large data sets, you know, you're you're missing out on a lot of information as a trader. And again, you don't have to be the quant, even if you can just sort of communicate what it is that you'd like to see with the quant or have that dialogue, that can be extremely valuable. If if you're just someone who sort of, you know, picks up your orders in the morning and, and has a clean plate by the end of the day, you're you're not doing your uh your organization any favors. Okay. And uh Dave will start uh I'm sorry, uh, JC I'll start off with you and I'll jump over to Dave, but um you see, as far as the partnership with OpenFin that you'd mentioned before, um, again, this is a, an interesting area around, you know, using kind of open source tools to create something of a new and unique trading environment. Um, what what led you guys down that path to, to to really kind of go through with OpenFin? Yeah, I think I think when we launched, I think we had a product that was excellent product to get to the market quickly. Uh, a lot of work had been done before, you know, David and I even entered the scene. So, you know, we were effectively given the keys to a car that was just about operational. You know, we only had a few more months to go until we went live. And I think it was a fantastic product to get us to market quickly and, and get out the door. But as Dave said, as we started to talk to clients and, and clients were saying, you know, can I get, you know, this column added or can I – change the size of my font or can we do this and that it started to dawn on me that what we had was a pretty rigid chassis uh, mm -hmm. that was requiring a lot of development time uh, a lot of cost and just wasn't terribly flexible enough and so as Dave you know and I and the rest of the team just continued to get this sort of feedback from our clients I think it was pretty evident that that we needed to find an alternative and uh, I, I mean Dave called it the holy grail I I couldn't be more impressed with this product and what it's done for us in terms of, you know, the ability to actually be flexible, um, you know, take feedback on the fly and get releases out to the clients as quickly as we have. I, I've just been so impressed with, you know, OpenFan and our ability and Dave's team ability to work with them. So it was clear to me that we had to do something pretty quickly. Uh, I guess our only concern was, gee, we just rolled this thing out. We can't just put another completely uh, new-looking product in front of the, the clients. Let's let this burn in, and, and let's just make sure that what the clients are saying, you know, is, is in fact true and widespread, and, and lo and behold, it was. But um, I've been pretty happy with, with what we've got. That's interesting. And, uh, Dave, um, just looking ahead, I know it's only so much a giveaway, but – as far as kind of product roadmap and kind of areas of opportunity that you see, you know, Q4 2019 on 2020, uh, 2020, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> um, what do you see as being the 
you know, as far as like product roadmap, is there anything they can kind of preview as far as where you guys are going to look to build out the product going forward? Uh, yeah, like you said, there's only so much I can say, but you know, we we just went through the process of bringing our front end application up to state of the art standards, uh, and we're really happy with that. And I think the the next thing we're working on is to sort of do the same to the back end, right? To get faster, simpler, more efficient. And uh, that's a project that we're working on today. All right. All right. Uh, well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you taking the time out and chatting with us. Um, and uh, all the best of luck to you guys in the future. Thanks Thank for you. Us, Appreciate it.